This is Scripture on Creation, a question and answer format radio program hosted by Dr. Ben Scripture. With a Master of Divinity, a PhD in Biochemistry, and over 30 years of experience studying and teaching about creation, he is well equipped to address current perspectives on creation, science, and intelligent design with biblically and scientifically sound answers. This and past programs are also available as a free podcast so you can listen anytime. If you have a question for Dr. Scripture, contact information follows the program. And now, Scripture on Creation. Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Well, Dr. Scripture, we're continuing in our study of creation in the book of Job. And in this program, we're going to read about what, for all intents and purposes, is a fire-breathing dragon. (laughs) That's right, Scott. (laughs) We're going to be introduced to a creature named Leviathan. And for those that are familiar with that name and where it's described in Job, they might figure we'd go immediately to Job chapter 41. That's what I was thinking. Which is entirely about Leviathan. 34 verses, all describing it. But first we're going to see that Job actually mentions this beast way back at the beginning of his lament when he's lost everything and is wishing he'd actually never been born. And so just by noticing the connection between Job's misery and his mentioning Leviathan, we should understand that Leviathan is not a pleasant subject. I guess you could say he's nobody's pet. (laughs) I'd say that. But to start our consideration of this terrible creature, let's set the stage for why Job brings it up. And to do that, we must go back to Job chapter 1. The first discussion between God and Satan is over, and Satan has gone out to destroy everything Job has. So let's start reading at verse 13. Now it happened on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house that a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, Dr. Scripture, we know that God gave Satan permission to do this, but it appears that Satan did these things through the agency of other people, and I guess we would say even the weather. Yes, and this is why it's very applicable to our focus on creation in these programs on creation in Job, because here we get a glimpse into the dynamics of God's control of nature, that is, creation. So ultimately, we must understand that God is the one in control of the things that Satan did, but apparently Satan was able to strike the sheep and those tending them with lightning. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? The servant calls it the fire of God. Well, and I, I think the point of that is man can make a fire, you know, out of sparks and tinder, but he can't make lightning. That ability belongs to God and apparently to spiritual beings if God allows it. And I think it's especially interesting that Satan seems to have stirred up those people called the Sabaeans and also the Chaldeans to attack Job's servants and steal his livestock. 
it reminds me of another situation in the Bible where God allows an angel to incite wicked people into action. Really? What are you referring to? Well, I'm thinking of an incident in 1 Kings uh, involving the wicked king Ahab, where he went to a battle that eventually cost him his life. Oh, I think I remember what you're talking about now. Yeah, and he consulted the prophets okay. about this, including a bunch of false prophets. And one true prophet named, I think his name was Micaiah. I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 19 to 22. I'm reading out of the NIV. Micaiah continued, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. That sounds like what we heard in Job. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we've got another scene in heaven. Yeah. So then go on. Going on at verse 20. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth-Gilead and going to his death there? Oh. One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. Wow. So there's another example of a fallen angel enticing someone to do wicked. And so in this case, Satan enticed I guess the Sabaeans yeah. and those Chaldeans to do something that was really evil. But of course, Satan is not finished persecuting Job. And so in verse 18, we read about what he did to Job's children. So now I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And so with that, again, we see that Satan was given control over the weather. He causes a great wind, and might it even be a tornado? We're not for certain, but it causes the collapse of the house that all 10 of Job's children were in, and they die. You know, Dr. Scripture, I'm just trying to imagine this. Satan takes away everything that belongs to Job, all of that, his income, his great wealth, and then he's not done. He kills all of his children. I just can't wrap my head around all that happening at once. Yeah, I can't imagine that happening, and I can't imagine responding the way (laughs) Job did. Let's read his response in verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Wow, who could respond that way but a man (laughs) as great as Job was? And of course, the Lord Jesus. But I want to note that word blame that the narrative says about what Job said about God. That word blame could be misleading. The sense of the word here is more the idea that Job did not accuse God of wrongdoing. Because the fact of the matter is, he did understand that God was ultimately responsible for what happened to him. So using the word blame the way we tend to use it, it would be accurate to blame the devil. Yeah. You know that phrase, the devil made me do it. (laughs) Well, when we try and use that as an excuse, we're accusing the devil of wrongdoing. 
But Job, even though he knew God was really the one responsible for what happened, he did not accuse God of wrongdoing. And the one other thing I want to point out as we're considering Job's amazing response is that Job knew that you can't take anything with you when you die, which is unlike lots of pagan beliefs, which would have surrounded him. All these pagan beliefs where they bury things with the dead to accompany them into the afterlife. A prime example would be how the Egyptian pharaohs, you know, they get buried with all their treasure with them in their pyramids. That's a great example. And even though we might scoff at such a deluded idea, you know, we sometimes need to be reminded of that because we often live like we could hang on to the stuff we acquire forever. And the example of what happened to Job is a sober reminder that there are no guarantees in this life except the afterlife. There is an afterlife for everyone. Let me ask you, listener, where are you going to spend eternity? Because you will spend eternity somewhere. It's a sobering thought. But of course, at this point in Job's life, he's living through this. In fact, he wished that he didn't live through it. He wished that he had never been born. We're going to continue to read, and we'll see where Job comes to this place where he mentions Leviathan, which is what we talked about (laughs) at the beginning of the program. And to get us to that point, we see that Satan isn't done with Job yet. Job passes the test with such excellence, and still Satan wasn't satisfied. And pretty much the same kind of scene in heaven happens again, and God speaks to Satan again. So let's look at Job chapter 2 now, verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there was no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. So note here that God indeed takes responsibility for what happened to Job, and yet Satan still wants another opportunity to destroy Job. So now we'll continue reading verses 4 through 6. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So then from there, we read about the terrible pain that Job went through. He had these boils all over his Mm -hmm. skin. So he has this physical pain. And then on top of that, he has the mental anguish of essentially his wife encouraging him to commit suicide by cursing God. Mm. And it's just hard to imagine the pain that Job was going through. Then his friends come, and they're agonizing with him. And we should understand that Job's friends really were friends, at least there at first, because they came and simply wanted to commiserate with him and were silent for seven days with him. (laughs) But finally, Job essentially can't take it anymore. And he begins then this lament in Job chapter 3. We'll read the first three verses of what actually is quite a lengthy lament. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was to be born, and the night which said, A boy is conceived. So what this amounts to is Job wishing he hadn't been born. Let's look at verse 7 also. He says, Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. And then again in verse 11, Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb, and expire? So with these statements and many others, he's wishing that he had not been born, and he's cursing the day that he was born. And then we read these odd words. Look at Job chapter 3, verse 8. Let those curse it who curse the day, 
who are prepared to rouse Leviathan. So note there's basically this connection between cursing the day to rousing Leviathan. I think it sounds like rousing Leviathan is asking for trouble. So here's this connection that Job makes between this terrible creature and basically calamity. (laughs) And how do we know Leviathan is terrible? Well, as we mentioned at the beginning of the program, there is an entire chapter, chapter 41 of Job, that describes just how terrible Leviathan is. Well, you know, Dr. Scripture, it's very curious that the Bible takes that much space just to describe this creature. You, I think you said there were 34 verses. The whole description of creation in Genesis chapter 1 is only 31 verses. <laughs> You're right, Scott. And the only explanation I come up with is apparently God really wants us to know what Leviathan is like. And as we'll see now that we're going to read some of Job chapter 41, Leviathan was a fire-breathing dragon. We're obviously not going to get much of a discussion on Leviathan in this program, so we'll return to this in our next one. But let's read chapter 41, verse 18. It says, His sneezes flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils smoke goes forth, as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes forth from his mouth. It seems almost unbelievable, but that's what God's Word says. And why would God be talking about this terrible creature? Well, listen to what he says in verse 10. What he's doing is he's saying, if Leviathan is like this, just think what I'm like. No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. Who then is he that can stand before me? And that's not what I say. That's what scripture says. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the program. If you would like to hear this or past episodes of the program, listen to them on our podcast, Scripture on Creation. You can subscribe for free or listen on our website, and you can learn more about our ministry on the website, scriptureoncreation.org. Scripture on Creation is a listener-supported ministry, and your gifts and prayers are greatly appreciated. If you have comments or questions you'd like Dr. Scripture to address, you can contact him by sending an email to scripture at scriptureoncreation.org or call 574-551-1524.